Thanks for joining us at the Montrose Church Podcast. For more information, please visit us at montrosechurch.org. Have a great day. Well, how are we doing? It's good to see you all. And uh, I want to talk for just a minute about Eswatini and the little uh, video you just saw, because we're doing something this year that uh, is unique. Uh, I think this is our ninth year in the partnership, something like that. And uh, generally, we get a team, you know, in Eswatini, we're going to we're going to push you to the limits. We're going to take you all over the country. You're going to do a little bit of everything. You'll do some medical stuff and some, you'll be at Enduma and meet all the kids and all that stuff. This year, uh, we've committed to be on the university campus converting a space that is currently a library and an old sewing center into a state-of-the-art computer hub. They've been asking us to do this for a while, and the reason is you saw a little glimpse of the of the library, most of those books are from the 1960s and the 1970s. That particular university has a school of nursing, a pharmaceutical school, and it is a school of education, so it's training teachers in Eswatini. So the influence of the university, that Manzini campus, over the life of uh, that country is very profound. And this is an opportunity to build a piece of infrastructure And it's unique in this sense. We're actually going to do the work. Our team is actually going to do the demo work and the reconstruction work and the electrical work and the painting. And we only have a few days to get it all done. So if you've ever thought, sometime I think I want to go to Africa and be a part of this, and you got some skills, because it's not just about the building skills. We also have needs on the computer side. we got to actually build this thing. And we have to actually provide some computers to make it state of the art. So I want you to begin to think about it and pray about it because this will be a very unique kind of trip for us. And uh, you won't travel all over the country, but you'll get to know the city of Manzini and South Africa Nazarene University very, very well in the days that we'll be there together. So think about it, pray about it. And that's not just an aside because we're talking today about better together by his grace. And I think his grace has something to do with us in a very complete sense. Grace is not just about rescuing us. It's about equipping us and getting us moving into a meaningful, purposeful, and fulfilling life. You know what they didn't teach me in seminary? People are like, I got a long list of things I don't think you learned in seminary. They didn't teach me in seminary that talking about happiness in church can get you some mean emails. They didn't tell me that. Because when you talk about happiness in church, people are like, I don't, I don't know that God wants us to be happy. I mean, and you can follow the story. I mean, I get that line of thinking, you know. Life's not about skipping through and, you know, sprinkling pixie dust around. There's hard things in life. Amen. But Jesus did say, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy, but I have come that you might have life, and that you might have it in abundance. And I don't know about you, the fruit of the Spirit is 
love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and gentleness, faithfulness and self-control, it seems like these ideas center around what we call happiness. Not a shallow kind of happiness, but the deep kind that's rooted into really finding our meaning and our purpose. And I think it's what Paul is talking about in the second chapter of Ephesians as he writes to these churches in Asia Minor about what it means to be the community of faith and that it's a complete grace. It's it's not just a grace that picks us up and rescues us, but it moves us through an entire process, an entire way of living, an entire way of thinking, and an entire way of being in the world. We live in a culture that's sort of found itself as existentialists, meaning you got to make up the meaning of life. Every individual human being has to figure out the meaning of life for you. That's a big burden, isn't it? That is not the story of Scripture. The story of Scripture is that you are the handiwork of God, that he created you, and he prepared in advance good works for you to do, that he has an intention for you and a purposefulness for you, and you're not searching for meaning in life, you're searching for the grace that connects you to what God has in mind for you. And when we fit those things together, we experience an emotion that you can't really chase, It's a byproduct of getting some other things straightened out, but you could call it happiness. Now, it's funny because if you preach about happiness, you get emails, but if you preach about joy, everybody's okay with that. (laughs) I don't know why. (laughs) It seems like semantics to me. I don't know if I've ever had joy and not happiness too, or if I ever had happiness without joy. That'd be weird. But I think God intends for this go. What percentage of time do you spend thinking about yourself, your stuff, your journey, your issues, your family, your circumstances? And what percentage of time do you think big picture? What's life about? What's the purpose? Who am, am I in Christ? What am I supposed to do? Most of us spend the vast majority of our time thinking down here. And then sometimes we're like, I don't know why I feel so sad. Well, because <laughs> sometimes down here, things are sad. Amen. I mean, there's a whole bunch of scriptures. Count it pure joy, brothers and sisters, when you go through trials and tribulations of every kind. No, I do not. Do you? Do you count it pure joy when you go through trials of every kind? No, that only makes sense if you're participating up here. <laughs> Because down here, trials of every kind are trials of every kind. They're just, you know, drudgery and bleh. But when you go, but they are working something, something purposeful in my life so I can be about the purposes of God in the world. And so then I can feel some joy because I know that it's not just wasted energy. In Hebrews, the writer says... Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who, for the joy set before him, endured the cross, scorning its shame, and so sat down at the right hand of the Father. So, so Jesus got through the things down here by focusing on some bigger joy, something more important, something 
that allowed him to get through this with purpose and with some kind of joy. And I think that's important for you and I as we think about it. Seems to me that folks who are connected into this issue of, you know, the grace of God should feel some kind of joy and happiness. Amen? Because it's really good news. It's, it's really good news. I can feel that you're all excited about it. I've been traveling this week. I'm going to tell you a little bit about that in a minute. But I uh, have been uh, across the country and back. And so um, any energy you have to share today would be, would be good. Really good. By the way, I don't know if you know this, but in the other part of the country, almost all of the other part of the country, it is cold. It is frigidly, like, cold. Like, I was at a hotel, and just 14 steps out the front was a Chick-fil-A. And I was hungry. And I said, no. (laughs) It's just not worth it. (laughs) It was that kind of cold. Victor Frankl says these words, don't aim at success. The more you aim at it and make it a target, the more you're going to miss it. For success, like happiness, cannot be pursued. It must ensue. And it only does so as the unintended side effect of one's personal dedication to a cause greater than oneself or as a byproduct of one's surrender to a person other than oneself. I think that's what Paul is talking about in the second chapter of Ephesians. About 15 years ago, we were running uh, five services on a weekend, two Saturday night services, three Sunday morning out of just this campus. And uh, we had a new family visit us, and uh, the person, the guy in the family, he was a contractor, and he pulled me aside after a few weeks, and he said, you've got to stop this. This is, you know, you're going to have a heart attack and die. And I said, oh, okay, uh, I'm, I'm open to ideas. And he said, I'm going to I'm going to see that we get a new building built here. And I said, well, good luck with that, because we've tried to do minor repairs on the building and have been shut down by L.A. County. I'm not sure how we would ever you know, do anything significant here. And we began this odyssey. And I'll be honest with you, when the odyssey began, I was like, I kind of hope it doesn't work out. You know what I'm saying? I mean, have you heard the stories about people building buildings and stuff? church construction projects. I don't know anybody that you say that to, they're like, oh, let's do that. You know? And so I started way back then praying for a sign. You know, God, give me a sign. And I had a pretty specific sign in mind. You know? <laughs> and so as we kind of went through the process and we, we made our way to the commissioners and we had, we had met with our county supervisor and said, we're probably going to need help getting this all to happen. And we went to the commissioner's meeting and in about eight seconds, they voted us down. I mean, we, I don't even know what happened exactly. I just know we lost. And then we kind of went through a period, and I was like, that's the sign we needed. <laughs> We're moving on. We're going to do other stuff now. But no, that just meant it was going to be more. And we eventually got in front of the supervisors. And, and, and it was so, the odds of getting this thing to happen were so long that in that meeting of the supervisors, when they voted to give this church its variance on parking so that we could do this project, it also took about eight seconds. It was so quick that we waited three months to look at the minutes of the meeting so we knew exactly what they had given us because we didn't even understand from the context that was happening. It was so unprecedented that the county folks that we were working with came to us after the meeting and said, you're going to have to give us a little time 
because this has never happened and we don't know what to do. So we entered into kind of the next phase of the project. And I was still praying for a sign because I'm thinking, you know what, I, I don't know how this is all going to come together because it seems like that if we're going to do all of this, it's going to cost money. And then I was reflecting on the fact that I've been to places all over and heard pastors talk and they all give the same speech. And I heard it again this week. I was in Atlanta at the Maxwell Leadership Conference at 12 Stone Church uh, Conference Center and. And uh, Greg Meyer came in to talk to our group, the founding pastor, and he said, a guy asked me to go to lunch, and I went. And halfway through the lunch, he said, I've got $7 million I want to give you. Wow. Now, I've heard Rick Warren tell that story about Saddleback Church. Guy came, asked me to lunch, opened up his checkbook. How much do you need? That was his story. I've heard pastors all over the country tell that story. That was the sign I was praying for. <laughs> you understand? So if you've ever stopped me on Sunday morning and said, you want to go to lunch this week? I'll be like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah <let's... laughs> Waiting for a sign. <laughs> and as I was praying about it and thinking about it a couple of years ago, this passage from Ephesians 2, you are God's handiwork, created to do good works, which I have prepared in advance for you to do. And I felt like, oh, that's... We're supposed to go forward. We, you know, I would rather have had a check, but we're supposed to go forward. And sometimes in our lives, I think we have to, to settle in and say, God, I, I think you got something for us to accomplish. And I don't know that I'm comfortable with it, and I don't know if it's what I want to do, but I think you have said out loud that your grace goes to this level. We are your workmanship. And you created us. And you have good works that you plan in advance for us to accomplish. And I'm spending a lot of time navigating my life. But I want to get my head up. Because I know your grace is complete. It starts way over there and it doesn't leave me till we're way over here. And it matters. That's what Paul's writing about in Ephesians 2. Read it with me. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sin in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit, who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions, it's by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Jesus Christ. For it's by grace you've been saved through faith, and this is not from yourself, it's the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast, for we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Four big concepts of grace here. Number one, it is a grace for things that have died. You were dead in your transgressions and sin. Two really big words for Paul. And so he's basically saying, here's a couple things for you to think about when it comes to this issue of life and how it works. 
and what's going on. The first one he says is you were dead because when you go down this path, some things in you get broken. And you were dead in your transgressions and your sins. The word for sin here is harmatia. And harmatia is a shooting word. It's specifically associated with shooting arrows. And it means you aimed at the target, but you missed. You aimed at the target, but you missed. You missed the mark. Most of us know and understand that. We aimed at something. We intended something. We wanted something. And and we aimed at it, but we didn't hit it. We wanted happiness, we wanted peace, we wanted meaning, we wanted connection, we wanted purpose, we wanted fulfillment, we wanted life to make sense. Amen? That's what I wanted. I think it's what most people want. And why do we need to talk about happiness in church? I don't know if you know this, but people in the world are looking for some happiness. Because you know what? Most of us want some. We want to feel joy. We want to feel peace. We want to feel hope. We want to feel optimism. We want to feel like the world is coming together, not falling apart. We want all that stuff. To be psychologically healthy, we need all that stuff. Some of us, we long for a simpler time. Let's just go live on the farm because that was easy. (laughs) But it would have been quieter. It would have been quieter. So he says, "You've, you've aimed at something, but you missed the mark. And you realized that you missed the mark because it was empty. And, and the missing of the mark caused things to break inside you. In fact, it caused them to die. And then he said, and you're dead in your transgressions, peritoma. That means I slipped and got on the wrong path. I slipped. That, that what happens to us is we, we think we're on the road to happiness, but then we find out that this road doesn't lead to happiness. That this road has no hope of getting me where I was hoping it was taking me. That's a hard lesson in life, isn't it? And we've all learned it. I mean, we've all learned it at one time or another. Because we've said, you know what? I don't know what God's doing, but I'm going to get on this road. Because this road's obviously going to get me to where I want to go. And we stay on that road till the day we go, "Uh (laughs) uh-oh. I was supposed to go that way. And now (laughs) I'm veering way off where I intended to go. And Paul says, this reality of human existence... When we try to figure it out for ourselves and we aim at something, a happy life, a meaningful life, a connected life, a purposeful life, and we miss the mark, something inside of us breaks. And when we we slip and we get on the wrong road and we follow that and we realize that this road has no hope of getting me to this place I was hoping to go, something inside of us gives way. And things die in us. Innocence dies in us. Optimism dies in us. Hope dies in us. You know, one of the things that's interesting about traveling is you are forced into a wide, wide variety of humanity, and you get a sampling of people across the world. Well, okay, across the United States, but really the world. And you know what you hear a lot of? Sadness and cynicism. If you just listen to the conversations that are going on around you, sadness and cynicism. A culture that's missed the mark and is on the wrong road. And the road we're on has no hope of leading us. And, and we, have, we have folks that are standing up week after week on TV in, in every social media context saying, no, no, you just haven't gone far enough down the road. Oh, yeah, we've gone far enough. We've gone far enough to see that this road is not going to lead us to the place that's promised. And stuff dies in us. And Paul says there is a Grace. There's a grace for the things that have died. 
because it's a common experience. Number two, there's a grace for rebirth. There's a grace for rebirth. But because of his great love for us, God, who's rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in our transgressions. And so he says, what we were deserving of is the wrath of God. Because when we missed the mark and we got on the wrong path, it was often because of selfishness, because we chose things, because we got out of alignment with what God wanted for us and wished for us and hoped for us. And what we were deserving of is wrath, and that's what we kind of expect from God. But what he gave us instead was grace, forgiveness. That when we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness and to give life back to the things that have died. Isn't that amazing? That he doesn't ask us to walk around as shells of our former self with our loss of innocence and our loss of optimism and our new reality of cynicism and skepticism, but he asks to give life again to those things that make us most human. Love and grace and kindness and mercy and connectedness and relationship. He, he invites us into a place of rebirth. It's not just a grace that deals with the brokenness, though the grace, thank God, deals with the brokenness. Amen? But the grace also gives us new life. Alive. We talked about it last week, you know. Church ought to be a place. I mean, he starts this whole story off with a hymn because he wants us to dance in the joy of God's presence, in the reality of his gospel. He, he starts by singing a song and saying, don't be so analytical, have some fun. Amen. Thank you. <laughs> when I very first came to this church, there were 30 or so of us and so we were, we, were, we were going out into the highways and byways and compelling people to come in. You understand what I'm saying? And so one of the people that I had access to was the spouse of someone who came to church but no longer came to church. And so I was going to go visit her and compel her to come in because that's a significant increase in attendance. <laughs> one. And we sat down at her home and I said, can you... I think you used to go to church. And she said, yeah, I used to. And I said, and you quit? Yeah. I said, so what happened that caused you to quit? You know, it was depressing. That was the saddest group of people that I was around anywhere at any time. That's an indictment, isn't it? <laughs> that ought not be. That there's a grace for our brokenness. But there's a grace for rebirth, to get the joy back, to get functioning again, to get our heads up, to, to, to have some sense of purpose in the world, some sense of excitement about life. I, I know it's hard. I know things get off. I know we miss the mark and we get on the wrong road and we get wounded in that process. But there's rebirth. There's fresh start. There's new beginnings. There's this, this time when things Come back together again. Fanny Crosby wrote these beautiful words. Down in the human heart, crushed by the tempter. Feelings lie buried that grace can restore. Touched by a loving heart, wakened by kindness. Chords that are broken will vibrate once more. That's beautiful. And we long for it. We long for that grace. I need grace for forgiveness, but I need grace for new life in here. I need some dead things to start working again. And finally, he says there's a grace of safety and hope. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with the Father. So he's moving through this process. 
We were broken, we were lost, there was oppressiveness, we, we lived under this sort of mandate of our, of our physical desires, and then we found out that's not the best way to live, that you can get messed up that way, and, and so he, he forgave us, he, we deserved some wrath, but instead we got grace, and he forgave us, and he gave us new birth, and then he seated us with Christ in heavenly places, and this is what he's saying, now you get to live in a place of safety and security. You, you get to wake up knowing that because of this process of confessing and receiving Christ into our hearts and, and being forgiven and being cleansed and, and having things put back together, new birth, new life, now we dwell in a place of the kindness and the favor of God. How many times do we wake up in the morning and go, yeah, I'm, I'm dwelling in a place of the kindness and favor of God? I don't know about you, but when you live down here, this is what you do. This is what I do. You know, my list yesterday had 17 things that needed your immediate attention. Today it has 19 things that need your immediate attention. I feel like this is growing instead of shrinking. And some of them really need to be taken care of. Somewhere in there Paul's saying, listen, I understand about this, but get your head up. God in all things is working for something that needs to be given new birth is the optimism that God is for you and not against you, that he sees you. Why do you complain, O Jacob, and, and say, O Israel, my way is disregarded by my God? Do you not know? Have you not heard that the everlasting God, the Father, the Creator, the ends of the earth faints not, neither does he grow weary? There is no end to his understanding. He gives power to the weak and grace to those that lack strength. Even youths faint and grow weary. Young men stumble and fall. But those that wait upon the Lord will renew their strength. They'll mount up with wings. Like I, That was one of my favorite verses growing up. And I used to believe it. <laughs> Amen? Amen? used to say that and say just a little while. And God's grace is going to get in here. And Paul's saying that's got to have new birth. That's got to come back to life. You've got you to dwell in that place where you believe that. God sees you and he hears you and he's at work and stuff. And even though it's almost impossibly difficult sometimes, God is for you. Amen. And Paul says, listen, this grace doesn't just rescue us. It doesn't just restore us. It sustains us all the days of our life. And now he's ready to move to the last place. It's a grace for a life of happiness. For we're God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. I, I'm not just going to leave you with some sort of theoretical spirituality. I have purpose for you and meaning for you in this world, in this life. And I want you to find it. Because meaning and purpose and fulfillment and happiness are deeply intertwined. I have come that you might have life and that you might have it to the full. But you got to get your head up. You can't spend... And by the way, in the middle of this, he says this. And by the way, your salvation is by grace alone through faith in Jesus Christ. It has nothing to do with your work so that no one can boast. Why do you think he says that? Well, because it's true. But also because whenever we are rescued and forgiven and some things are brought back to life and then we're living in this place in which we have God's kindness and favor, we have a tendency to become introspective in our faith. Most of us as Christians, how am I doing? 
Am I doing all right? Is God, is God loving on me? Do I feel loved enough? Do I feel grace enough? Do I feel encouraged enough? Do I feel, how am I doing? Let me see. Let me check the mirror. Paul says, you, you might want to relax because it's not all about your analytics. And it's not all about how hard you're working. In fact, your salvation is a gift of God's grace. It's not by works so that no one can boast. So spend less time on that because there's something to accomplish in the world. You are God's workmanship. Created in Christ Jesus to do good works. That God prepared in advance for you to do. A plan. Something for you to accomplish. I, I don't know exactly what it is. I'm still figuring it out, what it means in my story and in my life. And I, I believe this with all my heart, that it changes over time and God keeps advancing it and revealing more of it and changing it and taking us in new places. And, and I don't know if you know this, but you do not retire from the good works that God planned in advance for you to do. Well, I'm 60-whatever years old. I had to sit and listen to this pastor who's a year younger than me. had the audacity to sit in that space with us and go, yeah, I retired last year. You know, I just, I don't do much anymore. I just, you know, come and speak at things like this. I don't like him. <laughs> Some of us aren't, we're not looking at retirement. We're looking at a, another decade or two of work, amen? Yeah. And that doesn't matter if you get to retire from your vocation God never lets you retire from the good works he's planned in advance for you to do. Amen? Amen. This idea that we got to a certain age and then we just say, well, I'm, I'm no more use in the church because I got old. Uh, you want to rethink that? You want to rethink that? We need you. We need, my friend Bob Detweiler is over there. Bob's 86 years old. I can't keep him off mission trips. I, I, I try to discourage him. <laughs> Guy followed me to Israel. Almost died. He had pneumonia. He's walking around Israel. You know, came home. I tried to find him a week later. He's in the hospital. So I figured he learned his lesson. <laughs> then last year, he decided he was going to Africa with us. Traped all over Africa. I can't believe it. That's just because you never are done, are you? You're never done. You're never done. You're going again? Yeah, there he is. It's the standard right there. I mean, I mean, we try to, in the church, not shame people. It's an 86-year-old man. He's packing up and ready to go to Africa to do some work. Do you think like this? Because I'm guessing this morning in this place, there are some folks that are way back over here, and we're still dealing with missing... And by the way, don't you want to be a part of a repentant church? <laughs> I don't ever want to be, I grew up in a church that talked about holiness. And while a lot of people created folk theology that was never taught by anyone anywhere and is not in the Bible, I, I heard people talk about a kind of spirituality where you got rid of the desire to sin. I, I never really experienced that. You understand what I'm saying? So as a teenager, I remember going to the altar and somebody coming to pray with me. And you've been around, you've heard this story before. 
And this saintly man was pounding me on my back, high school kid, saying, help him to mean it this time. <laughs> Do a lot for your faith. Now I'm equipped, I would say, listen, you create a theology that nobody can live in, and I live under a weight of guilt, so I'm down here every week because you open this altar and you act like there's a thing that happens where we don't need to live repentant anymore, but that's not true. <laughs> and don't you want to be a part of a repentant church that says, I didn't, I'm still missing the mark. I'm, I'm not missing the same mark necessarily, but I recognize that God has a plan for me, and I'm going to keep confessing because I want to stay on the right road, and I can slip at this age as easily as I could have slipped, well, maybe not as easily, <laughs> but I can still slip, and I can slip in different ways, and I want to live over here because the grace of God needs to cover me when I miss the mark and when I get on the wrong road. And I need that experience of rebirth. I need some things to come back to life. And, and there's some folks today here that are right here. And there's some folks that are right here. There's been some rebirth and you're praying, God, bring some things back to life. Because some things have died in me. They just don't work the way they used to work. And I, I need to have new birth. And some of us are over here. I, I know that I live in a place in which I am in God's favor, but I don't feel it. I don't celebrate it. I don't rest in it. I don't feel secure. I don't allow myself to dwell in it. I don't allow myself to meditate on it. I don't allow myself to bathe myself in the reality. And I need to spend more time here because I spend an awful lot of time in fear. And I spend an awful lot of time in despair. And I know that God has brought me through. And I know I'm living in a place of his favor. And if I'm not, I'm asking God, show me so I can turn it over and surrender it. And then some of us are at that point of, I've been doing an awful lot of this. Most of my spiritual life is this. It's trying to get forgiven. It's trying to get some new life. It's trying to, and I'm not ever getting into this other place where I'm fulfilling the purposes of God in my life. And, and then I walk around and I don't feel fulfilled and I don't feel I found the meaning and I don't feel the joy and I don't feel the happiness. I don't feel the abundance because happiness is not something you can pursue. It's something that ensues when we are doing God's work and God's will in our lives and in our stories and in our journey. None of us can do great things, but all of us can do small things with great love, and together we can do something wonderful. Pray with me. God, I just ask... That in these moments, as some folks here are thinking about where they may have missed the mark or gotten on the wrong road, we're still a church that believes in confessing our sins and receiving forgiveness. And while whatever we did, whatever brings us shame, whatever embarrasses us and causes us to hide, we may be deserving of your wrath, but God in his great love gives us mercy instead. So across this room, as folks lift up a prayer of confession, meet those prayers of confession with grace and forgiveness. Some folks here need some dead things brought to life. The story, the journey, life, 
has broken some things and stolen away and killed some innocence and some optimism, some hope. We can't weave that stuff back together, God. We can't positive think ourselves into being better. We, we need you to bring new life to things that have died. And I pray that healing over some hearts and lives here and in the overflow and online. And some of us are living days of fear and insecurity and we've forgotten that that's not who we are anymore, that we are surrounded in God's grace and though we live in a world that has all kinds of troubles and trials, still God is for us and not against us. And in all things, he's working for the good of those that love him and are called according to his purposes. So I pray, Lord, a sense of peace, a reminder that you are at work in the circumstances of every single life represented. You do not ignore us. You do not leave us behind. You are at work. And let us move into that last phase of grace. A grace that is filled with good works that you prepared in advance for us to do so that we're not always in training. We're not always getting ready. At some point we become a part of the kingdom of God alive on earth, pushing the hope of God and the peace of God and the grace of God into the darkness of this world. The very mission to which you've called us to fill this world with your grace and your love and your kingdom. I pray that as folks through this room and upstairs and online pray these prayers, that they'll reach out, that we'll connect, talk to a pastor. Let's pray together. Let's come together as the body of Christ. And let's see lives transformed in the name of the gospel. Our prayer is that this congregation would be a part of seeing that your kingdom come and that your will is done on earth as it is in heaven. We pray it all in Jesus' name. And everybody said together, amen. amen. Will you stand as we respond? Thanks for joining us at the Montrose Church Podcast. For more information, please visit us at www.montrosechurch.org. Have a great day.